Good day, everybody, and welcome to The Mining Waffle, episode four of our new podcast, uh, where Liam and Charlie talk about issues in the mining industry, but so far, very rarely with Charlie on board. Uh, he's up in Scotland on holiday again now, uh, so we're looking forward to getting him back in a few weeks. Very happy to be joined today, once again, by Rowan Thorne, exploration geologist, uh, Bethany Swift, and Thomas Atkins from Mammoth Resources. How is everybody doing today? Ladies first. <laughs> Well, doing well, thank you. <laughs> Resounding positivity there from across the board. <laughs> Great. Uh, so as always, we start with a little bit of news uh, from the Spotlight Mining sponsors. So right now, uh, Conquest's resources are still drilling their Belfast Tech Mag property up in Ontario. Uh, there's a 10,000 meter program planned on that. Um, and as far as I know, the drills are spinning uh, as we speak, which is pretty awesome. Mountain Boy Minerals had a news release uh, two days ago announcing their work program for the Thea project, which uh, it may be Thea, Thea, I'm not sure. Uh, Lucia's going to have to come back and correct me next time, <laughs> uh, where they'll be channel sampling and doing some field mapping uh, on top of their existing programs on American Creek and on the BA property and everything else that's been announced. It's going to be a very busy season up in British Columbia. So you might recognize uh, one new face, or not recognize one new face today in Bethany, who's joining the podcast for the first time. <laughs> How are you today, Bethany? Very well. It's very warm here, so expect some days. <laughs> yeah. So um, to explain Bethany's purpose, the best, the, the best way would be to say, Bethany, how much do you know about mining? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. the very bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you are today's uh, sort of sample audience, as it were, because uh, we're going to discuss our topics at a level that more people can understand. And you're going to be our, our alarm for when you don't understand something. <laughs> you can be here. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bethany, any questions you want to ask? There, there's no such thing as a stupid question today. Uh, oh, okay. Only only stupid answers and bad <laughs> so, which so, I'll take responsibility for. <laughs> I would say my very first question is, what is the most simplified description of mining that you can give me? <laughs> Who wants to take that? You want to go for that, Tom? <laughs> oh, great, thanks. <laughs> On the spot. The first question. Uh, what is mining? It is the extraction of economic minerals um, from the earth um, that go into the various products that we use um, in our everyday lives. Perfect. I so. can get that. <laughs> yeah. Selling I mean, metals from the ground for money would be my... Uh, yeah, well... Doesn't when sound as nice. Uh, when it gets into how do you actually do that, that's the longer... Yeah. Um, defining the economics, um, you know, all of the work that goes into actually building facilities to extract those minerals... Um, the social interactions that you have to do, the raising of the capital. Um, yeah, that's that's all of the, you know, the peripheral parts to the, to the simple answer, but, um, you know, the very complicated parts as well, as is, I suppose, every business in that regard. But anyway, yeah. Yes. So, Bethany, what's uh, your, your overall impression of the mining industry? Uh, so from a broad level, what, what do you think, when you think of the word mining, what do you think of? <laughs> Well, I guess it's kind of like the utilization of materials, you know, like like um, Thomas said, we can take these materials, we use them in our everyday lives to better our lives. Obviously, the questions rise of, 
of sustainability and these are finite resources and what can we do to make everything better and keep this lovely comfortable life we've got as uh, whilst obviously um bettering the world around us instead of uh, actually devastating the world around us though i don't want to sound like an eco-freak <laughs> well, those, those are good points and and i think everyone you know in, in the industry needs to be cognizant of that um, I would say that, you know, in my 35 or 40 years in the, in the business, I mean, 35 as sort of an executive in, in money and that, um, in some role, um, I would say that, you know, certainly the industry has, has had to become more responsible. There have been periods of, of legacy events that have, um, have caused uh, environmental and social challenges. But I think, um, unfortunately, you know, it seems like we always have to learn from bad experiences. But those experiences have made the industry better, and um, and I think you know I think we're held to a pretty high standard now, and I think you know, for the most part most companies endeavor to meet that standard. Um, one thing that I think is really important is as an international company um, accessing capital internationally, you have to meet the highest international standards. So you could be working in a country that may not have very well developed standards, but that's not an excuse to still meet what you know are the world and global standards than that. So um, I, think, I think those kind of thresholds um, make us more accountable and make us a better industry. Yeah, and that was uh, surprising. Like, normally when people come on and they don't, uh, don't immediately know about mining, they just assume that it's horrendous. And I was expecting uh, <laughs> I was expecting some fireworks, but uh, we, we accidentally got sensible discussion instead. Um, <laughs> that wasn't intentional, but but that's great. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's, it's all good. <laughs> kidding, Did you kidding. want the controversy? <laughs> Always, just the gossip and the drama. Yeah. So, Tom, today, uh, maybe just a few hours ago, actually, uh, Mammoth Resources, uh, MTH on the Toronto Stock Exchange, released uh, 1.7 kilometers more of your 3D geophysical data. Uh, from the Tenereba property. Uh, how would you like to give us a bit of an overview of that? And uh, this is where Bethany is going to have to hold up her or wave when she doesn't understand and we'll try and, uh, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. so it's geophysics and Bethany, we use geophysics in mineral exploration as a means to try to measure the characteristics of the rocks below the surface. So we can go and sample rocks on the surface. And we've done that over, gosh, a six kilometer trend of mineralization at our Tenereba property. So we can take rock samples and send them into a, a laboratory and they do analysis and give us back various, you know, grades and things like that. So we have this wonderful, you know, we call it footprint of surface gold, silver mineralization over a really large area. But the question then becomes, okay, great. I mean, you can extract it what's going on below the surface. And we use geophysics and there's different techniques that we can use where we try to get a sense of the characteristics of the rocks, which give us an indication as to the potential for mineralization that we see on the surface extending below surface. And so we announced another 1.7 kilometers. So we have a total of four kilometers of this six kilometer footprint of surface mineralization, gold and silver where we're seeing characteristics in the geophysics that suggest to us that there could be the continuation of the surface mineralization down to depths of as much as 200 meters, which is a good depth for an open pit type mine, which is what we think we could have there. 
and that. And so, um, and what's really interesting about these results is, and what we try to do to get better confidence of what's going on below surface is we, we pile in all of the other data that we have. So we've got surface samples, we've got actually gold in soil, so we can actually measure even just in soil, we can measure what gold, is, what gold values are. Um, we've got them in rock chip samples, channel samples, we've actually done some drilling. So we've got a pretty good look of what's going on in the surface with our data, and we have a good look um, based on our drill results that we actually have this mineralization of depth, and then we use this geophysics which basically it's like geophysics is kind of like taking a picture. So imagine you had a, somebody that's you know, standing in front of a building and they take a picture. Well, okay, you have that person, you have that building. Well, the drill hole is kind of like the person and that, and then the building is kind of like the geophysics and that. So we have this drill hole, we know the person is there, you know, and we know that the, the mineralization is there. And then we have this building around it that's sort of you know, creating this setting um, of, or, or this, you know, it could be a landscape picture of a mountain or whatever, but we have this, this other picture that's saying, okay, that person is there in that setting. So the geophysics is kind of like the bigger setting and the person is kind of like the drill hole. And then we have all this surface data as well. So we're getting a really good image of the potential of this mineralization below depth through this geophysics. And so we announced another 1.7 kilometers, adding it to 2.4. So we've got just over four kilometers of this picture. And it's showing really, really good corroboration of all of this evidence that there's this mineralization. And then the intriguing part as well is at the limits of this survey. So we've gone you know, from east to west at the limits of the survey, we have a really, really good feature still showing up, implying that there's good continuity even beyond the boundaries of, of the frame of our picture. So I hope that helps. Is that some reason? Understandable. <laughs> yeah. Exciting for us to see that, to want to see this four kilometer trend and that this big picture, this big scenery, and then to see that at the boundaries of it, it's still showing that there's great potential beyond that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good to know that you only go as far as you need to. You don't take it any further. Yeah, well, at this point in time, look, at that's a lot. That's a lot right now. I mean, there could be, you know, I mean, there could be millions of ounces, like a very robust economic deposit, even within these four kilometers. But, you know, that's enough right now. And, and that we've got, you know, we plan to, to drill test some of these targets now, further drilling, and that, um, but four kilometers is plenty at this point in time. But it's encouraging to see that it could grow beyond that. Hmm. Intriguing. What do you think, Rowan? Any questions? Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, I've Rowan, you, uh, you had a look over I, the news too, right? <laughs> I, I have. I've just not long had a look. So you're, we're, you're in, uh, obviously, Mexico with your Tenerima project, okay? Yeah. You've talked about the geophysics and the exploration that you've done. Um, how about the geological characteristics of uh, your um, deposit there? What, are we, what kind of rock uh, geological environment are you looking at? What kind of alteration... Uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping I don't have to meet the Bethany test on this one because this might be a little bit more challenging. But um, we will explain. We won't be too as we get into describing rock types and that. Yeah. Um, so it's a volcanic setting. It's a high. It's called a high sulfidation. So Bethany, this is going to be like you know what the heck does that mean? <laughs> it's called the high sulfidation uh, system, and the roots of these high sulfidation systems are systems called porphyry systems. And that so you can imagine like like sort of lava 
coming up deeper in the earth and that, um, and from this heated lava, there's, um, there are solutions that emanate from them in a volcanic setting. And we all have different pictures of volcanoes, but in a volcanic setting. And, that, and so these, we call them hydro, water, thermal, temperature, hydrothermal solutions, hot solutions. And that they're acidic. And, and so different metals are dissolved in those solutions and they come up and they're percolating them through the earth. And, um, and so we're in this high sulfidation system. We've got these hydrothermal acidic solutions that are coming up through the earth. And as they come up through the earth, they interact with the earth. And so the chemistry changes, the temperature drops down and metals precipitate out of them. And that is, so in our setting over this large area, um, we have the volcanics. So it's evident that, you know, there was a volcanic activity there. There's a type of rock type called breccia, which is really big class of the oozing volcano and that. Um, we see within this um, the absorption of some of these class. And so there's been um, episodes of this hydrothermal activity absorbing some of these class. And, and you know, what's great about these episodes is it's a robust system. It keeps replenishing, it keeps putting more metals uh, potentially into the, um, into the surrounding environment. So, you know, we've got buggy silica. So if you took a pot of boiling water, if you take a pot of boiling water, you could instantaneously freeze it you have all these little bubbles. And essentially, you know, buggy silicon high sulfidation system is really um, indicative of these systems because it is that boiling of these hydrothermal solutions and in the, in, in the interaction um, that's typical of these systems. So, so Rowan, we see that, you know, we see a lot of ubiquitous um, buggy silica, we see breccias, we see stratigraphic replacement um, as a result of these hydrothermal fluids. And of course, that's where the gold is, is deposited through that chemical interaction with the surrounding rocks. And that's, so we have all these features. So, you know, from a geological standpoint, you know, the model holds together quite well. So what we're looking at, for, for, the, for everyone that's listening that isn't too geological like uh, Thomas and myself, is that different rock unit, different geological environments different tectonic regions and different rock units host gold in different ways so what thomas is describing is effectively imagine an old volcano the inside of a, a depth an old volcano and you've got fluids circulating and they find fissures fractures pathways out of the inside of the volcano and as they travel along they crystallize their chemistry changes they they react with the the post bedrock and then that's where you get the precipitation of the, the, the metallic elements. Um, my uh, <laughs> forte, shall we say, my experience is working in Archean greenstone belts, which are di completely different to what Thomas is describing here. So what I'm looking at is really old uh, rocks, cratonic units that were formed billions of years ago. So you can imagine all the continents, all the, the landmass being formed around, around the planet. And you've got the interactions where they move, they crunch against each other, you have reheating of the rock, uh, and then again hydrothermal fluids coming in and they replace old basaltic um, altered units and you get a completely different form of mineralization than most people go. Rowan, Bethany's falling asleep. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm trying to, be, I'm trying to emphasize that there is, we're looking here at Salts. different 
<laughs> Imagine lots of old rocks crunching together no, no, and moving no, around. You're right. You're right. You know. You know. It's interesting. If I had, if if I could put some context to this, which I think is interesting for Bethany and anybody that that's you know intrigued by geology and mining, um, you know, beyond just simply the the speculative inv and investments point of it, which is something that I you know find very interesting, is that um, it's it's time. It's the whole concept of time. You know, we think of time as in maybe going back to biblical times or Roman times or something like that. That is nothing in geological time. Like, you know, Rowan was talking about working in Archean rocks, which are, you know, billions of years old. Hey, we're only talking about stuff that is maybe, you know, 50 to, to you know, 35 to 50 million, 55 million years old. Like, it's nothing. But relative to his, I actually remember, I, I did my undergraduate um, thesis I did a geochronology, some chronology dating, so dating of some rocks. And the rocks that this pluton that I dated in the, in the Grenville province in, in Ontario was 1.76 billion years old. And it was plus or minus, my margin of error was plus or minus 35 million years in my geochronology. Plus or minus 35 million years. That's a pretty small, uh, pretty small. I think that the earliest, that, the earliest <laughs> of, of of man, you know, is something in the neighborhood of maybe two hundred thousand years old, something like that. So just just to put in context, these processes, you know, that that that, that go on in the earth, and and you know the the intrigue. I actually, you know, I think it's like detective work. The intrigue of using all of the technical tools that we have, and I talk about geophysics as being one. But the intrigue of using all these different tools to try to understand what took place millions, if not billions of years ago, and to try to find an economic deposit using all of those tools and using them efficiently because capital is another big part of it. I mean, look, if we can go out, if we really wanted to know a deposit, we could just go anywhere and just start punching drill holes in it. Cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in that. But ultimately, that's, that's what you do at the appropriate time, but it's what you do between, you know, going to the property and putting those drill holes in to use the science as efficiently as you can to have the best sense of where you want to put those expensive drill holes to try to define that deposit. So again, I just, you know, millions, billions of years of the earth processes that's created these deposits and us using science and technology in exploration to try to identify where they're so located and, and to try to find something economical. It's, it's, I really find it interesting. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and the, the giant scale of time there is probably a good, uh, good place to mention, uh, as, as Rowan did as well, um, our current work in Liberia, which is probably the next topic we're going to try and skim through a little bit. But uh, we've actually just got our assay results back from our first uh, soil sampling campaign out in West Africa. I don't know if you want to introduce those uh, a little bit, Rowan, just a brief overview. <laughs> Oh, certainly. Um, well, I've just been working on doing all the finalizing all our data from Origins project in Liberia and our Unity and Moors license. So as of completion of our phase one slash 1.52, however you want to look at it, because some things roll over when you're out in the field. I think at the moment we, we've collected in the two licenses between the two about 1,900 regional soil samples over the two. Um, with regards to detailed soil samples, I think we're at nine, 968 samples, um, 170 approximately rock chip samples. Um, 
so we've got the assays from most of them back, especially our detailed soil. Uh, our plan in the pipeline is to send more regional soils off for assay, but our, our detailed soils in Unity actually show a nice north, east, southwest trending uh, gold anomaly uh, from our kind of beer can, what we call our beer can prospect. Um, I think our highest gold hit was in the soil was point eight five something like that. I think along that line. So we've got a nice gold trend, one and a half kilometer long gold trend in the north of the Unity license. Um, our regional soil uh, analysis using a portable XRF, the Olympus Vanta model, shows numerous uh, soil anomalies, copper, tellurium, zinc, arsenic, among others. Uh, in, our, in our Moore's license, close to Monrovia, we've got numerous uh, potassium, niobium, typical kind of Archean uh, alteration uh, chemical assemblages along a, a nicely mapped regional shear zone. And we're getting some small grade of uh, gold assay in our outcrop sampling there also. So as that we've only been on the in the field for three and a bit months, we've actually achieved quite a lot <coughs> working out in West Africa. We've got a good set of data now to work with. We've already kind of defined targets for further work. We, we've just been, we're in the process of planning further exploration. And I think hopefully once the rainy season's over, we will head back out with a good solid plan and a, and a good idea of what's happening geologically uh, and geochemically with our, our exploration. And we have targets ready to go for further soil sampling, mapping, uh, and hopefully some geophysics. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. Um, so just on, on your soil, so what was your line spacing and your sample spacing? <laughs> right, so our regional... Yeah, so we did differ slightly between the two licenses. I believe in the Moore's license, our line spacing was 800 meters and sample spacing was 300 meters. And in the Unity in the south, uh, our line spacing was 100 meters with sample spacing at 200 meters. Obviously we, we vary the line and sample spacing because of the size of the license. And of course, when you come to expiration, you have to factor in the logistics and time frame of getting these samples done. But what, what we found that these line spacings after doing our analysis, we can clearly identify with our line spacings, our sample spacings, the soil geochemical anomalies. So uh, we, we think- Are you gonna close, I mean, we talked about next steps so that you've got this, like that's pretty big spacing, but you know, you're getting yeah. a, a sense. Are you gonna, is your plan now to, to, to zoom in and, and to get more of a, you know, something that's gonna be more indicative of, of um, uh, most definitely uh, yeah 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 we're planning much tighter soil grids along our regional anomalies that we've seen in soil and also our rock chip where we've got um grade gold grade in our rock chip samples they correlate lithologically with um kind of intrusive uh units like um we've got veins but we've also got this kind of phenocryst kind of Plagioclase phenocryst intrusives, bit of a, a remobilization event there. So all our all our gold spikes in our unity license in the south occur with what we believe to be a remobilization or remelting kind of event along a regional shear zone. Um, and our soil copper arsenic tungsten anomalies correlate with these gold in rock chip sample anomalies. So what we've done now, we're going to zone in on these anomalies 
do much tighter soil lines and grids. And in the north, uh, in Moore's license, we are going to we're zoning in again to do more detailed soil along our mapped regional shear zone. So yeah, our next stage is to do more detailed work along what, our. Tom, what, and you asked me the question: what, What's the what's the geological setting there? We are right it, in. Is there much outcrop? I always think of parts of Africa. I've worked in different parts of West Africa. I, also th I always think of sort of saprolytic environments and things like that um, due, to the, due to the rainy season and the temperature and weathering and stuff. So yeah, rock types and how much outcrop? Uh, so the, the rock type we're working at down in Unity is really old Archean cratonic gneisses that are kind of removed. Like you can see all the texture, all the... the lineation of the biotite in, in the in the nices so they're very old they've been mobilized you see there's remelting there's a bit of deformation there um as respect to outcrop it's very limited as you, you are correct it is saprolytic hence why we're looking at doing a lot of soil sampling right. at the moment we have been mapping what we can and taking samples but the, the rule of thumb out there from you know what we understand is a lot of these deposits are found by doing your your bread and butter work very well your your ground-based soil sampling programs geophysics that I think that's what's going to provide the results for us and in the north in the Moore's license is slightly different again uh, we have a lot of uh, mafic intrusives um, coming into these old Archean nices and granitic units so you've got a very different, slightly a very contrasting uh, geology between the two licenses, just within one country. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to start looking at utilizing our soil geochem a lot now, purely because of the lack of exposure. We we understand there's lack of exposure, so we 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 know what we need to focus on and and uh, utilize our time with respects to exploration now. But of course, we'll still be out there mapping, going around. I mean, the map, geological maps that we were presented with before we went to work there were from the early 70s. So where we're working primarily has not been mapped for 40, 50 years. So right. you always need to go out as a geologist and review your licenses. Yeah. So that's our plan next. I should be, I, you know, I should be taking over your job, man. Like, I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> Liam knows all this stuff. Liam, oh, I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just no, you're right. You're right to ask. I was right. saying, I'm the interviewer here. I should, you know, I should <laughs> I'm still I died a bit inside when Rowan said we were only there for three or four months and I really it felt like about 30 years but uh, <laughs> aged about a year everyone got a year older uh, it's, it's wonderful no. being out there but it is very intense work uh, yeah. so we'll be back there well, it is, you know that's an, it's interesting that you um, I mean that you highlight that because I think you know just as we're talking and there's potentially investors that, that are looking at this or people that are you know, interested in investing in the sector. And mm. so um, that's another part that I think is really intriguing about it is um, there is this kind of almost, I mean, look, it, it's, um, it, it, it takes, it, there's, this, there's a level of entrepreneurship, I think, in the resource sector that I don't know if any other sector, quite frankly, has that. I mean, like, we all, like, everyone's you know, into tech and we always talk about you know, the tech innovations and stuff like that. But when you look at the engineering disciplines that go into both the exploration and then the, the development of a mine, like every, you know, all disciplines in that, um, you look at the remoteness and the challenges of where you're exploring. 
than that. Um, and, and then you look at some of the discoveries. Like I remember driving up to the top of the North American continent, the Coronation Gulf, um, to look at some deposits and the number of planes we had to take and we had to stop to get fuel up just to get up there. And that. And at the time, this is going back, oh my gosh, 20 years ago, they were, at the time they were developing the Divec mine up there in Northwest Territories. And we flew for hours from Yellowknife to get up to where we were going, had to stop to refuel and things like that. And, um, and that somebody found a diamond mine out there, you know? And it, I was gonna come to, to Euro and as far as artisanal workings there, like, you know, I'll be up in, we'll be in Mexico up in the Sierra somewhere in that some remote location. And you see some artisanal workings in that. And you're just like, who the hell was here, you know, with mules or horses how many years ago and decided to chip away at some, you know, rusted rock outcrop and, and, and see if they could extract some gold and stuff. So that level of entrepreneurship, I mean, it's not even just what we do now and where we go now with all the te technology that we have that can get us there, but what people did hundreds of thousands of years ago. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And that's this, this legacy that we're continuing, you know, probably going what we think is more remote locations, but in fact, we find that people are already there, you know, so. The, the best crazy example of where humans have put a mine is probably uh, Erdberg and Grasberg uh, out in Southeast Asia. <laughs> no, if, ah. if, any, if anyone searches for those on Google Maps, uh, just have a look at the ridiculous system that we've oh. had to put in place of cable cars, pulleys. Yeah, and one of the largest mines road. in the world in, in that, you know, really prolific mine. But the topography and the, the, the location and stuff like that, I mean, it's just blows yeah. your brain. Tectonically yeah. active, the, the tip the of one of the deepest mountains in the region. And, yeah. You know, it's nothing. I suppose on that uh, mining is ridiculous note, we should probably probably round up. <laughs> so, uh, Tom, do you want to maybe summarize uh, Mammoth for us in 10 to 15 seconds? Uh, give us your speedy elevator pitch. Yeah, well, look, at, I mean, the thing that I say to people most often is we're in the Sierra Madre, and people have probably heard that, you know, the Humphrey Bogart movie, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. It's a prolific uh, precious metal belt, um, and we're surrounded by, like, multi-million ounce gold mines, deposits, many of which are owned by multi-billion dollar companies. So we're truly in <laughs> mammoth resources. We're truly in elephant country. Um, but no, but really, I mean, I think we're in the right territory and we've got a large deposit. I think we've got lots of potential um, to, to make a significant discovery there. Great stuff. And uh, Bethany, your first uh, first sort of entry into the world of, of mining debate. And we didn't do a very good job of keeping it high level, actually. We, <laughs> we went pretty geeky. Uh, do you have any any thoughts uh, on what you've uh, what you've heard? Well, uh, I guess it's a fun. It goes a lot deeper than I thought. I learn. Oh no! Everyone should learn about it too. It's um, obviously everybody. We're all utilizing it, so. Yeah, I've gained a newfound interest. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's great. I might um, ask you the question again, because I think you're, is it just me that the connection's gone for? Or? I heard some, some gaps. <laughs> um, we, we, we've um, waited this whole time to ask you a question, Bethany, and your connection was perfect for like 40 minutes. <laughs> That's the internet for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it sounds like the audio is back there. So um, yeah, same question. Uh, so Bethany, um, yeah, sorry, we didn't keep it particularly high level there. We went a bit geeky at the end. But um, yeah, what do you think of that uh, introduction to sort of mining uh, and geological discussion there? 
Yeah, I think it's wonderful. You kept it as simple as you could for me. And uh, panelly, it goes as it goes a lot deeper than I uh, ever thought it did. But obviously, everybody should learn about this because we're all utilising it. And I found a newfound interest. Thank you so much. And I think uh, we'll have to do an inverted podcast where you make us look uh, ridiculous talking about film and media production. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> then we then we can uh, we can flip the tables a bit. <laughs> And uh, Rowan, yeah, what, what are your takeaways for this week, uh, just before you, you disappear into the wilderness of, of northern Scandinavia? I have you any time. <laughs> My takeaways from the week are that there are still a lot of areas that we need to explore in the world, especially, you know, as Thomas alluded to uh, in our discussion, that, you know, you walk through the middle of nowhere where you think there's a middle of nowhere and you realise that people have been there before. But what we need to do, I think, now is, is keep looking because, of course, our society is changing and the demands for the resources that we're going to need are going to change very much in the next 10 years. I think, as Bethany rightly said, you know, people need to become aware of what's happening in the world. We want to become a, a greener, more sustainable world. And at present, it's all going to have to start at square one, which is finding the materials that we need to sustain a greener economy and society from here on. So I think it's good that society understands what mining is about, but it's, it's even more important that people in the industry also communicate that properly to everybody. That was a good point, Ron. Yes, very much so. Just a quick question. Uh, what are your thoughts on mining asteroids? Because I've heard about this recently and I think you guys are the best <laughs> ones to ask. Okay, that's my, that's my favorite question. <laughs> Uh, I am fascinated by mineral processing in space. So all of the technology we have to extract gold and valuable metals on Earth relies on gravity, relies on an oxic atmosphere, uh, so oxygen in the, in the atmosphere to, to remove metals from the, the rocks. In space, where you don't have the gravity and you don't have uh, an atmosphere to, to use mm -hmm. the gases from, the, the chemistry and technology required to actually extract any metal from an asteroid is, is superb like superbly complex um yeah I, I find it fascinating i don't think it'll ever happen but it's fascinating <laughs> i would say that there are still you know coming back to you know what i said what rowan reiterated i think there are still so many places on earth um where there are opportunities to to find all kinds of metals um and this example is you know like there's and I, and I know it's a bit of a sensitive environmental topic but again i think that there are there are opportunities to manage that but um but even mining deep sea or mining sea um metals are are, are still a frontier that you know um we're just really just touching on um i was made aware some years ago of um cobalt nodules uh, in parts of the in parts of the the ocean floor and that in a huge, huge resource of, of, of those, and cobalt being a metal that's important in, um, in green energy and in batteries and that. So I still think there's lots of opportunities on Earth um, that, that still haven't been, haven't been tapped, you know, beyond just being remote, going to remote locations. I mean, I think, you know, the, the seafloor is another area. One of my morbid morbid discussion points for the day, but I think there's a British Geological Survey uh, subtle paper that was put out at a conference but never really released, which did a mineral resource on graveyards in the United Kingdom. 
Um, <laughs> so for, for gold, it's one of the biggest gold deposits in Europe. <laughs> if you uh, if you look at graveyards, so. that's well look at look at what came out of the out of the tombs in Egypt, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Melt it down and start again. But uh, that's my uh, nihilistic <laughs> view of the planet. So. Yeah, hopefully you don't have to go there. No, we don't uh, have to go that far yet. <laughs> Let's try Mexico and the sea first, right? Cool. Thank you very much for joining everybody and have a really, really nice uh, rest of a day. Uh, I should mention for bias sake that I do own shares in Ma Mammoth Resources and in Origin Exploration who were mentioned today. So I am heavily biased in their favor. Uh, we have not made any buy or sell recommendations today or given any financial advice. Uh, we're probably not great investors that you want to listen to anyway. So uh, go and seek professional advice before putting any money into any projects. Uh, thank you very much for joining. Follow us on social media, like and review us on Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. All those things. Thanks, guys. Bye.